Warning, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, contains adult content. Harry and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics, and so shall we. One more warning, this podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and the entire podcast, so please proceed with extreme caution. Bosch looked at her with outrage on his face but immediately saw that she didn't understand. Wasn't that what you're supposed to do? She asked. Aren't you required by law to inform people of their rights? Bosch struggled to contain his anger, reminding himself that Anoho might work for the department, but she was an outsider. Her perceptions of police work were likely based on more on the media than actual reality. <sighs> Let me give you a quick lesson on what's the law and what's real. We, the cops, have the deck stacked against us. What Miranda and all the other rules and regulations amount to is that we have to take some guy in who we know is, at least we think is, guilty, and basically say, hey, look, we think you did it, and the Supreme Court and every other lawyer on the planet would advise you not to talk to us. But how about it? Would you talk to us? It just doesn't work. You got to get around that. You got to use guile and some bluffing, and you got to be sneaky. The rules of court are like a tightrope that you have to walk on. You have to be very careful, but there's a chance that you can walk on it and get to the other side. So when some asshole who doesn't know shit walks into your guy and informs him, you can pretty much say it ruins the whole day. Not to mention the case. Hello, and welcome to the Thin Blue Line Podcast. I'm Philip Parker, a retired police detective with over 29 years of law enforcement experience. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to rate us five stars or better. Please follow us on Twitter at the Thin Blue Line Pod and our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are set up just for our fans. Also, join us at www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content, where you will find a more detailed experience concerning Harry Bosch and Michael Conley. Now all that bullshit's out the way, it's time to get back to work and probe deep into chapters 21 through 24 of The Last Coyote. Last time on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we explore how he who faces himself finds himself, shaped chapter 17 through 20 of The Last Coyote. And today we will be taking a deep dive into chapters 21 through 24. As always, there's the prerequisite spoiler alert. It's my intentions to stay away from spoilers, but sometimes shit happens, so please proceed with caution. And now, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch.
it's time to open up the murder book and turn the page to the chronological record so we can do an investigative summary on the information gathered thus far in this chapter. After arriving early for his therapy session with Dr. Noho, Bosch immediately asked her to review crime scene and autopsy photos concerning his mother. In response to his request, Dr. Noho tells Harry she'll think about it, but she thinks he tricked her by drawing her into the investigation concerning Marjorie Lowe. Bosch responds by stating that he thought this was the place where he could tell the truth, and he trusts Dr. Adoho. Dr. Noho asks Harry why finding his mother's killer is so important to him after so many years. Bosch tells her that it's hard to put into words, but everything changed for him when she was gone. And for a long time, Marjolo didn't matter, and he was ashamed of that. Ashamed that as a cop, he had the power to do something about it, but waited 20 years before doing anything. Dr. Noho requested Bosch to recount in greater detail the incident concerning Lieutenant Pounds and himself. Bosch proceeded to explain that Lieutenant Pounds had broke a cardinal rule by reading Bosch's suspect, his Miranda rights. Bosch further explains that what most police work is, is getting people to talk about the crime, then ferret out their inconsistencies and hammer it home until they get a confession. Later, Bosch arrives at Tampa International Airport from California with the intent to interview McKittrick. Bosch puts in play a ruse to find McKittrick, which works. Bosch knocks on the door of McKittrick's home and introduces himself to McKittrick's wife. She informs Bosch that Jake is down at the docks, which Bosch responds to. As Bosch and McKittrick are talking, McKittrick pulls out a gun and points it at Bosch. McKittrick tells Bosch, while he was walking from his house to the dock, he called some old friends back at LAPD and was informed that Bosch was suspended. Bosch decides to drop all pretenses and tells McKittrick that he's Marjorie Lowe's son. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's lift up the yellow tape and examine the clues for the defining theme for chapters 21 through 24 of The Last Coyote is if you ignore the past, you jeopardize the future. Hello, and welcome back to the Finn Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. And we start this episode off with Harry coming to his uh, therapy session early for, uh, with, excuse me, with Dr. Noho. And, you know, that's actually a good sign that, you know, Harry is, uh, well, Michael Connolly is letting us see Harry is making a turn, accepting with uh, the help from Dr. Noho. Well, and look, before I start, and as I'm apt to do, as I told you, I'd done it. Um, before and any good investigator would do is still a habit of mine. As I go back and I critique myself on my report writing, on my investigations, what could I have done better? So I put this process here to this podcast. And so that's a long dissertation to say I 
readily admit that I am not a um, therapist. <laughs> and I said it before, this book right here, The Last Coyote, is essential to understanding the character of Harry Bosch. And I think that's why he's such a lovable character, because Michael Conley took the time to just not just throw out there some cliches of about a, a cop struggling with this, struggling with that, and it's so, you know, stereotypical. There's, Harry Bosch is very layered, and this book gives us the layers, and it helps us peel them away. And I tell you that I'm struggling here because a lot of the book right now is dealing with Dr. Noho feelings and all that kind of stuff. And as I've told you before in other podcasts, I'm not the touchy-feely guy. I'm just like any other cop. I have a hard time expressing my feelings. So when it comes to this portions of the book with his interaction with Dr. Um, his interactions with Dr. Noho, I find that my um, expertise is very lacking <laughs> because I'm having a hard time articulating Bosch and Dr. Noho's interactions to make it understandable and or entertaining to you guys, or not entertaining, but informative. So I'm trusting that Michael Conley took the time to develop Harry Bosch further in this book. I'm going to take the time to try to articulate what I'm seeing on the pages and, again, give you a law enforcement perspective. And with that saying, I'm going to move on. <laughs> oh, boy. You know, it's very interesting that Harry tells Dr. Noho that he trusts her. And now, I, you know, especially for this podcast, when, again, little things like that, and I, again, this is why I said it's always great to go back and read his books because you pick up on little nuggets like that. I went back in the last three books and I can't find any place that he told someone that he trusts them. And, you know, Dr. Noho really doesn't fall for that because she says from the book, would you trust me if there was no ethical constraints on me telling others about what we're talking about here? I don't know, he finally said. I thought so, she said, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, you know, again, this is why I like Michael Conley because it's, Harry is still an investigator. But, oh, I jumped ahead. So why this interaction is because what happened just prior to this interaction between those two is that Harry had the um, autopsy and crime scene photos of Marjorie Lowe, his mom. And he wanted a professional opinion of the crime scene photos but he said to himself, I, I know I can't go there. And he asked Dr. Noho to look them over and then give him her professional opinion. And you know, she hesitated. She says, I don't know. We would, uh, we had to get back to that. Let me think about it. So, you know, he hit her. He even nudged her a little bit more with, but I trust you. <laughs> and, you know, so then, you know, it goes back into what I just read. And then Dr. Noho asked Harry, why solving this case is so important to him? From the book, it should be obvious. Make it more obvious for me. I can't. I can't put it into words. All I know is that everything changed for me after she was gone. I, I don't know how things would have been if she hadn't been taken away from me. But everything changed. And you know, it, that right there, again, as I was just saying, the layers of this onion, this enigma, this complex character of um, Harry Bosch. And 
again, Michael Conley is in, he's a true crime detective and he is giving us more layers of why Harry does what he does. Again, that's what cops do. That's what good criminal investigators do. Not only the best way to solve a crime, to understand your adversary, and here, understanding Harry. And then Dr. Noho even pushes further because she says to Harry, she fears that he believes that by going back and bringing some form of justice to his mother will right the wrongs of his life. And that's a problem. Because she tells him, you are some of all parts. You, you know, it's not that just that one incident that then made Harry Bosch. And again, there is those layers again. Because she's telling us, well, Michael Conley's telling us, that just by solving this crime, what happened to your mother, is not going to fix what's wrong with you now. Because there's a, a lot of other things that happen to you. And again, we've seen the glimpses of it. Again, as I told you last podcast, his mom died, you know, got murdered, foster, foster care, got beat up inside there in McLaren, well, got, was bullied, went to Vietnam, all those things. Like she said, you are a product of the whole, not the one particular incident. But, you know, again, Michael Conley gives us now even more, a deeper glimpse of Harry Bosch. You know, from the book, remember what I said the first day? Everyone counts or no one counts? Well, for a long time, she didn't count. Not with this department, not with this society, and not even me. I have to admit that. Not even me. Then I opened up that file this week, and I could see that her death was just put away. It was buried, just like I had buried it. Someone put the fix in because she didn't count. They did it because they could. And then I think about how long I let it go. It made me want to, I don't know, just hide my face or something. Boy, listeners, I tell you, that right there is a gut punch. Because again, not only do we get again further greater detail of the everybody counts or nobody counts tagline or his mantra, Harry Bosch's mantra, but we even get a further glimpse of it. And then we see the pain that's attached to that. Because he said he had to even admit that for a long time he buried it himself. And his mother, my God, his mother didn't count. And again, Dr. Noho is doing what she's supposed to do. You know, from the book, you're not understanding what I'm saying. I don't want any guilty person to get away, especially with murder. But what I'm talking about here is you. You are my only concern here. No living thing sacrifices itself or hurts itself needlessly. It's the will of survival. And I fear that the circumstances in your life have blunted your own survival skills. You may be throwing it all to the wind, not caring about what happens to you emotionally, physically, or any other way in this pursuit. I don't want to see you get hurt. And see that? Think about the three prior books and even his interaction with Pounds. Harry is Joey Harding. Michael, again, Michael Conley gave us that. He's reckless. He's impulsive. He does some things that you're like, oh my gosh, Harry, what are you doing? And again, Dr. Nohos now is putting it into context where some of those behavioral and emotional traits stem from. And now if you can go back 
and look at the, the black echo, the black ice, the concrete blonde, and all the crazy shit that Harry did. Again, we love it. I mean, this is why he's a lovable character. But then sometimes even I say, okay, why did he do that? Now we get a further understanding of why he possibly is doing what he does. So then Harry tells Dr. Noho that he, you know, went by Mattel's. And she was aghast by that. You know, I love you. She says, shit. <laughs> and, you know, but then she tells Bosch. And again, I'm not going to get into it because we're going to further dive into this portion um, of the book in the question of the day. But I just love that. One, I love the fact of how you guys responded to the question of the day. So I'm going to move on. So after a brief moment, you know, they calmed down because they, it was kind of heated. And Dr. Noho asked Bosch, let's go back to why you're here. Let's get to the incident. Now, this portion of the book is spot on. And it never gets old. So listeners, when I tell you, this, they're, they're, this portion of the book right now, Michael Connolly got 100% right. And, you know, I talked about it in prior podcasts. I spoke to you about how officials don't stay in their lane. I, also, I told you that some people, and again, Harry says it here because he starts going on his rant, is some officials don't understand what they're good at and what they're bad at. And the officials who don't understand what they're bad at, they always try to give their two cents into your investigations. And it's funny because then they try to do it in front of others because they're intimidated because they lack the investigative skills so what they try to do is transplant their authority you know, granted to them by their rank into your investigations. And so that kind of reminded me of an incident that um, myself and other detectives got into it with one of our supervisors who wasn't an investigator. And so we, you know, we were writing reports up, blah, 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 blah. And as we were writing the reports, uh, we turned it in. And this official comes out and said, you need to change that report. I'm like, oh, what do you mean change that report? Well, you know, it, you, know it just, you just need to change it because I don't like the way that the report was written. And so by this time, we had got tired of this one official telling us how to do our investigations. Now, this official was a great administrator. And I'm pretty sure Harvey Pounds is a great administrator, but he's a shitty investigator. So just like what happened with the incident with Harry and Lieutenant Pounds, this official chose to have this conversation in the squad bay with other detectives looking on. So what does one investigator, smartass who always gets in trouble, like such as me, do? Instead of deferring and, and, and trying to talk to the official on the side. You know, we sit back in our chairs and say, well, you know what? Based on your criminal investigation experience, how would you write this report? Oh, by the way, since I typed the report up and signed it, it's now memorialized. So I would change the report. But I'm going to say that per Lieutenant blah, 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 I'm going to change this report. So when I go to court, they're going to say, detective, 
I see you have two reports here. One says the guy arrived at 10 o'clock, and one says the guy arrived around around 10 o'clock. Well, again, something superficial, because, again, what this official wanted us to change was very superficial. Could you explain those inconsistencies, please? I said, oh, well, go to the second report, where it says, per lieutenant, blah, 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 blah. I had to change this report, so I, I think you need to bring in a lieutenant. Boy, this official was hot. Because one, you're trying to step on my investigation. You're trying to tell me what to do in my investigation. When you, one, you don't have no idea. And you just wanted to flex because of your shortcomings as a criminal investigator. Again, if you wanted to walk in my shoes, then get off your ass, turn your badge back in, become a detective, take the detective's test go through the rigors that I had to go through to becoming a detective, and then possibly you can make some suggestions. But other than that, stay the fuck out of my investigations. And you know what I said like that? Because that's how Harry is articulating his feelings right now when it comes to Pounds and what Pounds did. So what Pounds did was a cardinal rule. Don't fuck with my suspect. If I have a guy in the box, in the room, interview room, and you have no idea why he's in there, you don't go in there and say a fucking thing to him or her. And the reason is evident. And any good cop or investigator knows it. Because you say the wrong thing. Because it's not what the courts don't say, oh, what Detective uh, Parker did or Detective Jones did. It's what the department did. So if you go in there and say something, and again, what Harry um, is articulating is that Harry and Edgar brought in a uh, murder suspect, and the case they had against him was weak. So what they did, what they plan on doing, is sweating him, you know, put him in the box. And again, and this is, again, very um, basic police work. Just like what we, um, I put it out before in one of the Harry Bosch quotes is that patrol officers don't believe that or don't understand that what they write, what the suspect said right then and there the first time, the first time is usually the truth. And the truth covered up a, covering up the facts or the actual truth is something that happened. So what Harry is explaining to Dr. Noho and what Lieutenant Pounds did was he broke a cardinal rule. He sees a suspect in the box and he goes in there and then advises him of his Miranda rights. Now, why the fuck would Pounds do that? Other than because he can. Other than because he doesn't know any better. Other than because he's a little small man and he's intimidated by Harry Bosch's prowess as a criminal investigator. And usually, and like I said, it bears repeating, usually these type of officials, they point out or they particularly want to go at the alpha Investigator. Now, what I mean by alpha investigator? The alpha investigator, every squad room has it. One guy or girl who knows their shit top to bottom. Again, Harry right now is the D3. He's the top of the, uh, of the food chain. Now, he's earned his bones. Everyone knows that Harry made his way up through the ranks, went to RHD, and he should have been at RHD. Again, RHD is the cream of the crop. It's where everyone goes at the pinnacle of your investigative career. But he got bounced out of there. Now he's at Hollywood. But he has the skill set 
to go and be at RHD. So usually that type of uh, official, like Lieutenant Pounds, want to take that take those type of guys or girls. But again, let me let me just stop saying that the guys and girls. When I say guys, I include women. I hope that my female listeners understand I'm not that type of guy. As you know, you know what type of partner I have. So let me stop saying that. So they figure, let me take that person down a peg and then do it publicly in front of everybody. So they understand that particular investigator is not all that great because I can take them down. So these people, these officials, and it happens all the time. They fuck up your investigations. And we see Lieutenant Pounds did it here. You know, I like how when Harry's telling the story, Dr. Noho is just clueless <laughs> of what he's talking about. Because she says, well, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Read someone's Miranda's when you, um, when you arrest them? And, you know, I like from the book. He knew then that she was just another citizen who would be scared shitless if she ever got a dose of the way that things really happened on the street. And that's true. Again, a lot of people, we call it the CSI effect. A lot of people don't really understand how police work happens behind the scenes. From the book, me and Edgar came back from my coffee, and the John sits there, and then he says, I think I want a lawyer. I said, what lawyer? What are you talking about, lawyers? You're a witness, not a suspect. And then he tells us that Lieutenant Pounce read him his rights. So then, you know, Dr. Noho says to Harry, well, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Like, read him his rights? And exasperated, Harry contains his anger. He says, from the book, we would have made friendly with the guy, ask him to tell us the story, as much detail as possible, and hope that there was inconsistencies compared to what he told the uniforms. Then we would have said, the inconsistencies in your statement make you a suspect. Then we would have informed him and hopefully clubbed the shit out of him with those inconsistencies and the problems we found with the case. And again, that just goes back to what I was saying about, one, how important uniform guys are and how the uniform guys don't understand that they are part of an investigation. You know, this is one thing I know our academy does is the new recruits, part of their curriculum is they ask us as detectives come in and talk to them. And then while we, while we go in and talk to them, this is one of the crucial things that we as senior detectives talk to recruits about. That they are part of the overall criminal investigations. And we press upon them that take copious notes, especially when you're interviewing and or talking to someone on the scene. Because you would be amazed how many times that we actually club suspects over the head with, for the information they gave to the uniforms. And that gives me to um, one of the good things about those body cameras because the body cameras captures spontaneous utterances, the story, and it really helps out that he said, she said, oh, that officer made a mistake. He didn't, I didn't really say that. And normally what I do, what I did before I left, is I reviewed the body camera, then go talk to the suspect. And then, based on that, but then I would act as though I didn't see the body camera and 
or even ask them to fill in more blanks based on the body camera footage and then go through the inconsistencies. You know, Harry, through Michael Connolly, again, this is why Michael Connolly is a great writer because he had got some good intel from cop from the book. You got to get around that. You got to use some gal, some bluffing, and you got to be sneaky. And this is what I was talking about throughout the podcast so far, throughout all the other podcasts. When you got to use gal, act like you belong there. Act like while that's why you're there, because you belong there. You got to be sly. You, know, you got to be cunning, you know, intelligence. You know, you got to have some guile. And you got to bluff. You know, that's again, that's why you, or you bluff, fill in the blanks. Case in point, well, you know, witness said we saw you at the store around 10 o'clock. Now, we handle goddamn witness around 10 o'clock, but. You know, the guy goes, well, that witness is wrong. I wasn't there around 10 o'clock. Like, oh, so now we established that he was at the store. <laughs> you know, see? So you got to bluff a little bit. And last but not least, you got to be sneaky. And, you know, for the last three books, we have seen Harry uh, being sneaky. And <laughs> again, any good criminal investigator who's listening to this podcast can confirm all three attributes of a good criminal investigator. Gal bluffing, and being sneaky. And to just drive this point home, this portion of the book, you know, we had this one criminal investigator. She was like, uh, well, she was a um, D, a D1 like me. She was a top-of-the-line D, uh, detective. And so she had this like seven-month, eight-month-long investigation. Now, I think it was more than long than that. But it was just, let's say it was a long investigation. Wiretaps the whole nine yards. And so she was bringing it to conclusion. But even with wiretaps, she found that some information was lacking because one of her suspects never got on the phone, never talked on the phone. Old school guy, old school guy. So one of the things that she was going to deploy, one of the things that she was going to deploy is make a very public splash. Do a big takedown. And show this guy that we're locking up all his crew in the whole nine yards and hopefully give him the, get him in the box and flip him, you know, sweat him and, and, and get a confession out of him. So you know what happened. The case against the main target was harder to prove and almost went to shit. Why did it almost go, go to shit? Because just like this, what happened here, in route back to the uh, station to do the paper and processing the criminal. One official was in the transport and asked the guy, did anyone uh, give you your Miranda rights? And the guy says, no. Well, you know, you have a right to remain silent and blah, 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 blah. And then, this is, uh, I don't want to say her name, but so she gets the guy in the box and, you know, to do what she was going to do. And actually, the guy confessed. It worked. It worked. She was able to get the guy to flip. <laughs> so, but you know what's going to, you know, you know how the story is going to end, right? You know what's going to happen. You know what I'm going to say, right? Yeah. Get to court. Get to um, the discovery. Go get, no, get to motions. It was motions. It, it, was, it didn't even get to discovery. Get to motions. 
The defense counsel brings up to the judge, Your Honor, we want to strike anything he said immediately after he was arrested. Prosecution said, well, why do we want to strike that? I mean, we have him on film and we have him confessing. Well, he wasn't properly Mirandized. What do you mean properly Mirandized? Well, en route to the station, uh, Lieutenant blah, 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 gave him the Miranda. Now, again, I'm not going to get into how this one investigated because she choreographed what she was going to do in the way that she interviewed the guy with the uh, U.S. attorney. Again, there's, there's techniques, and I'm you know, not going to go into how there's techniques, but there's techniques how you can Mirandize somebody and still get them to talk. But the mere fact that in the scout car, in route there, he was Mirandized, one, and he actually said, I, I think I might want a lawyer. And then for a cop right then, even if it was five minutes or 10 days or two years later, if he says he wants a lawyer, all bets are off. You have to stop. And the mere fact that then she put him back in the box, she put him in the box, and then she started talking to him some more, you got to throw all that stuff out because he said he wanted a lawyer initially. So the judge, all, her, all that stuff got thrown out. And I saw the look on her face. And when she found out, because it was easy to put together because we documented it. Okay, who the hell? We locked him up on a scene on 12th Street. So in route back to who, who, who transported him? Oh, well, Lieutenant blah, 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 and the uh, scout car officer. So you asked the scout car officer, he said, who Mirandized him? And the scout car officer sees a lieutenant did. <laughs> I swear. Um, yeah. She, you know, well, I told you another podcast where, you know, you see fights that happen in the station. And you never thought that, uh, you know, it would escalate to the point where someone would get physically hurt. Well, let me uh, amend that. <laughs> because I thought she was going to kill him. <laughs> So after Harry tells this story about the incident, because he was just so outraged, and then he went in, confronted Pounds, and then he said he like had like a mad moment and threw Pounds through the window. And Dr. Noho says, you know, they go back and forth, but pretty much they, they had this cooling off period from the book. I guess I set the cause of psychiatry back a century, huh? Not at all. The more I know of the person and the more I know of your story, the more I understand how things happen. That's why I enjoy my job. And then Harry comes back and says, same here. And that's true. They, they'll we see Michael Connolly has artfully and skillfully woven Dr. Noho and Harry as being investigators in their own field. Her field of, of investigations it's psychiatry, and we know what Harry's is. And that gets us to this episode's question of the day. And the question of the day comes from the last coyote chapters 21 through 24 during a therapy session with dr noho 
Harry tells her about his encounter with Mattel. Aghast, Dr. Noho informs Harry that a patient-doctor relationship can be broken if a therapist believes that the patient is endangering himself or others. Question, do you believe Dr. Noho would, quote-unquote, go to Irving concerning Bosch and the investigation he has undertaken? Yes, she would have an ethical responsibility for Bosch's safety and others. No, she's treated enough cops to understand the importance of maintaining Bosch's trust. And, you know, this is why I love being a police officer or loved it, you know, being a cop and an investigator, because I totally posted this particular question with the understanding, with the assumption. Again, what what, what shouldn't we do is assume. But I went with the assumption that majority of the listening um, audience would say, yes, she would have to. But as of this podcast, 82% of you said no. You know, she's worked enough with police officers and she understands she must maintain their trust. While only 17% said yes. You know, first, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, participating in um, this question of the day. I say it all the time, the feedback and your interaction with this podcast helps keep us fresh and keeps it growing. So if you took the time out, even if you didn't, but thank you guys for taking the time out and participate in the pod, um, in the question of the day. But I, like I said, I really am pleasantly surprised because I thought, I assumed that you guys were going to say, now she got to report them, you know, that type of thing. But it gives me great pleasure that you guys understand that there's a that every cop needs a space to vent and get out things, and this is Harry's opportunity to do that. And Doctor Noho is savvy enough to understand that he is not going to hurt himself and or anyone else. So, as I always say, I feel like I'm rambling. So, let's get back to hitting the streets. And as we come out of the question of the day. Uh, we see Harry in um, Florida from California. He took a, a flight down to Florida to follow up with um, McKittrick. And you know, Harry's already had a plan how to get at McKittrick. And it started with him being back in L.A. when he went and found out, well, McKittrick's pension check went out and he lives in Florida. So Harry comes up with this ruse. again. You gotta be sneaky, right? And he goes to um, so he goes to this gift shop and he puts in play this ruse to get at McKittrick. Now let's back up a little bit. McKittrick doesn't have a telephone number. He doesn't have an address. It's a PO box, and he moved to Florida. And as Harry said in the prior chapters, what's going on with McKittrick? Why would you, you know, you're retired? Why would you make it so hard for people to find you? And me being retired, anyone on the department, hell, I still get phone calls from coworkers about old cases. So he goes into a gift shop and he buys a card that's red with a red envelope. And he takes it and goes to the post office that services the uh, P.O. box for McKittrick. 
Now, you know, old detective told me when I first came on as a detective and my uh, mentor, one of my uh, mentors said, Phil, you know, there's a fine line between being a cop and a criminal. <laughs> because as a good criminal investigator, you got to think like a crook. And when Harry bought this uh, red envelope, he did that in the sense of being sneaky and uh, following, trying to, you know, put a tail on whoever picks up the envelope. Well, we see he goes to the post office. He bribes the, uh, the employee to put this envelope in McKittrick's post office box along with he saw a check, possibly McKittrick's retirement check. And, you know, shortly thereafter, a lady comes out with this big red envelope and he follows her. And when he follows her, she goes to this gated community. Now, again, I'm going to keep hammering this home because this is really uh, essential. Now, you got to do a, be a little bit of gal and be, uh, and, and be a little bit sneaky because Harry follows this lady and she goes into a um, gated community. And so, you know, Harry, again, you got to be sneaky, right? He goes to the paper and see any houses are, are for sale in that gated community. And he finally gets one lady who says, hey, I'm here right now. Come on over and take a look at the house. What I like is that Michael Connelly now introduced us, the reader, to Jasmine. And one of the things of her description, Michael Connelly describes Jasmine having seriously green eyes. I love that description, serious green eyes. Now, you know, again, I'm a creature of habits, you know, what I tell you before about the eyes, you know, is is I'm always captured by the eyes, and that's true. What I said back in the Black Echo when I when Michael Connelly was describing Eleanor. So, you know, when he picked out that Jasmine has serious green eyes, it's just like, oh, that hit a soft spot for me. We see Michael Connelly does something also that I like. So Harry's got this ruse to get into the gated community. He got in, and he walks around the house, you know, with Jasmine as though he's going to buy this house. And she immediately calls bullshit. She's like, you're not interested in buying a house. You're not even looking around. What are you doing? I like Michael Conley's depiction of women in his book, in his books. I have not seen any character, female character, yet to be weak. All his female characters, which is, which is true, are strong, intelligent women. I mean, you might not like their decisions they make, but you can't say they're not strong and intelligent. And I love how Michael Connolly does that because, you know, isn't it so cliche that the woman or the female is waiting for the hero to come rescue them? What I get, they're not waiting for Harry to rescue them. In some sense, is that they are rescuing Harry and they're coming at different times of his life. So far, we're in our fourth book in crucial moments that he needs a strong and intelligent woman. And I like how Michael Connelly does that. And not to belabor the point, but again, Michael Connelly has some good investigative intel from how cops are trained. Because one of the things Harry says in this particular interaction with Jasmine is that he looked at her hands from the book. Bosch moved closely by her at the bathroom door. He looked down at her hands as a natural instinct and saw no rings on any of her fingers. Again, cops are trained. What hurts you are the hands. 
make sure you keep the hands are in view. And that is a police tactic that Michael is revealing here. So after the ruse is over with, and, and as Bosch says here, or as Michael Conley says here, Bosch was, uh, you know, red in the face. You know, Jasmine throws a little uh, jab at him. It says, hey, look, uh, whatever, you've, whatever you're doing, it sounds like it's probably a, a good story. Give me a call. You have the number. <laughs> I like that, you know. And so then uh, Bosch, you know, goes to McKittrick's door, knocks on the door, and he, he interacts with his wife. And his wife said, hey, you know, Jake is down by the dock, and he starts walking that way. Now we see, again, a glimpse in how, again, this is, ha- this is how things happen in my household. And what happened next is what I can see my wife doing. So Bosch um, just finished talk to um, McKittrick's wife. She says, hey, he's down at the dock. And unbeknownst to Bosch, McKittrick's wife had called um, Jake down at the dock and said, hey, you got this guy, the detective from L.A., coming down here to see you. Now, my wife would do that because uh, Mrs. McKittrick says, well, he doesn't like surprises. He is and Jake doesn't like surprises. So when Bosch was walking down to the dock, she had called Jake and said, give him a heads up. That is a classic move that happens in my, because my wife knows the same thing. I hate surprises. And so even though she will greet you um, with courtesy, she also knows I hate surprises. So just like what McKittrick's wife did, I can see my wife doing the same thing. She'll call me, text me or whatever. She would contact me and say, hey, look, just let you know, there's someone, you know, blah, 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 coming. Just want to give you a heads up. Again, that is spot on to what happens in law enforcement uh, world when you have a significant other who understands how suspicious cops are. And we see right off the bat, McKittrick, his, his antenna is up. You know, he challenges Bosch, like, Why aren't you, where is the second detective? Because, you know, he, he knows police procedures. And Bosch comes up with some bullshit story about, um, oh, well, you know, my other partner's running down some other facets of this, which is bullshit. If you go out to interview somebody, we always go, with, go in twos. But as we see Harry's apt to do, he likes going it alone. Again, that goes back to him being reckless. Now we understand Dr. Noho has given us context to why is he so reckless. He's so reckless because... She believes in his emotional development, he has cast away and or has blunted the self-preservation aspect or survival that is innate in everybody. Again, this is why this book is so important in the Harry Bosch eco or universe. And you know, this line um, that comes up next. So Bosch is talking about, you know, hey, yeah, I tried to um, talk to your partner. Uh, Eno, but he's dead from the book. Eno's dead? God damn it. I didn't know that. I thought I would have heard about that. Not that it would have mattered a whole hell of a lot. Yeah, he's dead. His wife gets the pension check. Sorry you haven't heard. That's okay. Eno and me, well, we were partners. That's about it. And so what McKittrick is saying here is that you have, and again, okay, I can only say it this way. You have partners or partners. 
you know, and so one is official. You go out and you do your, your tour duty and you save each other's lives. I mean, at the end of the day, you save each other's lives. If something happened, your partner will have your back. Now, your partner is someone who you trust and ride or die with. And, you know, you, your family interacts with each other all the time. You know, you go picnics together, vacations together. You know, you go to their, their children's baptismal and or, you know, their sporting events. Now, that's your partner. So, we, as we see here, McKittrick is saying that Eno was just his partner. So, the conversation so far with McKittrick is very adversarial. And McKittrick is put off by Bosch from the book. I know that, McKittrick said, voice raising. I worked 63 cases during seven years on a homicide table. I worked Hollywood. Wilshire, then RHD. I cleared 56. I'll put that up against anybody. Today, they're lucky if they clear half of them. I'll put that up against you blind. And you'll win. That's a good record. Hey, this isn't about you, Jake. It's about the case. Don't call me Jake. I don't know you. I've never seen you before in my life. And again, so what did Harry do when people, when people piss off Harry? What did he say? Don't call me Harry. Call me Bosch or Detective Bosch, but don't call me Harry. You know, when you're not my friend, don't call me Harry. Ian, we, now, ha Harry's getting a little uh, taste of that here with uh, McKittrick. Now, Bosch tells McKittrick, hey, I'm out here about the uh, Marjorie Lowe investigation. And McKittrick can rattle off all the statistics, you know, all the preliminary information about um, Marjorie Lowe. And he tells Bosch, once you finish this job, there's always going to be one case that, that, you, that, that hangs with you, that unsolved case. And again, no, now, again, there's no direct comparison what I'm, you know, what I'm saying because I never worked a full-time homicide investigation. Like I told you back with my brother, I spent like a week in homicide and, and I, I, I couldn't take it. So I bailed and stayed in narcotics. But there is one, but what he's saying here is that there's one case, this one guy I just could not get. And I thought I had him. We went to trial, and it just didn't work out. And that, to this day, to this day, that bugs me. And I can tell you everything about that case. It happened 15 years ago. I can tell you everything about that case. So, again, Michael Connolly has good insight in the police culture and the police world, and it is exhibited here. Things really get intense. Because McKittrick calls Bosch, he says he's full of shit from the book. Why are you full of shit? McKittrick answered as he turned around. I'll tell you why. Because you come here flashing that bullshit badge around, and we both know that you don't have a badge. <laughs> so what happened was McKittrick, again, he's an investigator. So his wife had called and said, hey, this detective from L.A. is coming out to see you. So McKittrick probably said, hmm. Why is the LA detective coming out? You know, and his wife gave, gave him, him as in McKittrick, Bosch's name. So as McKittrick calls it, he said he has teeth still in the department. And he calls up someone back at LAPD and they say, well, yeah, that dude is a detective, but he's on, he's on leave. He's got suspended. Now, me, I think, because I think he called, he is a McKittrick called one of his old RHD co-workers 
Leroy Rubin. Now, remember, Leroy Rubin was a person who Bosch went to at the beginning of his investigation or at the beginning of this book to try to find out if Leroy had any information about Eno and or McKittrick. So, I, again, this assumption, and again, we shouldn't, should not as, uh, assume, but McKittrick says here, I still have teeth in the department. His last assignment was RHD. We know the connection between RHD and right now is Leroy Rubin. So I bet he called Leroy and Leroy said, because Michael Conley inferred that because when Michael, um, because when Harry tried to elicit some information from Leroy, Leroy immediately said, yeah, I heard, you heard about your situation. So again, Michael Conley is not putting things in the book just to be putting them in the book. I honestly believe the connection between McKittrick finding out about Harry is Leroy uh, Rubin. And I, I, I say that and I bring that out just so, again, gets you, the listeners, to understand not that you're not doing it, but hopefully you're seeing Michael Conley is very subtle. I told you he's a snake. You know, he's not, he's not a snake, but, you know, I've said it in other podcasts. I feel like Michael Conley and the stories he talks about is like this big python that wraps around you. So I'm always on the guard. I'm like, okay, how, how's he going to get me? So what I mean by he's a snake, that's what I mean, not the negative connotation about a snake. So if you listen to my podcast before, you understand that. And as we end this podcast, I'm going to end it with this. Listen to me, Bashel. You remember every case. I do, goddammit. I don't forget them. Cut it back. The Ketrick pulled back the throttle and the boat evened off and the noise reduced. On the Marjorie Lowe case, you pulled the dirty work. Remember that? Remember what we called the dirty work? You had to tell the next of kin. You had to tell her kid out at McLaren. That's in the report, Bosch. So he stopped and stared at Bosch for a long time. He then flipped open the badge case and read the name. He looked back at Bosch. I remember that name. The swimming pool. You're the kid? I'm the kid. to this episode's Everyone Counts or No One Counts Person. And my Everyone Counts or No One Counts Person for chapters 21 through 24 of the uh, Last Coyote is Detective Jake McKittrick. And you say, okay, Phil, what? Jake McKittrick? Well, I like it because even though he's been retired for 21 years, he still has some instinct. And maybe it's me projecting myself because I hope I still have the instincts that Jack like uh, Jake McKittrick has but you know he has a system in place and within 15 minutes because Michael Conley said it took Harry 15 minutes to walk from the house to the boat dock where Jake was 
he was able to verify and or get information that Bosch is full of shit. He's trying to smoke Bosch out a little bit, and he's not afraid to pull a gun on uh, pull a gun on Bosch to get to the real uh, truth of the matter. So, um, I, so yeah, I'm projecting. You know, I hope that's me in 21 years of being retired that I still have the skills set and I'm still sharp enough like uh, Jake McKittrick. Well, on a serious note, he still remembered the case. He remembered the case about Marjorie Lowe and to reflect on what Bosch said that I guess Marjorie did count with somebody because Jake still remembered her. concludes chapters 21 through 24 review of The Last Coyote. Hey guys, this shit is going fast. And I love it. You know, the hardest part of my day when I was a criminal investigator was just sitting around the office doing nothing. And by you guys interacting and listening to this podcast, as retirees, I couldn't ask for anything better because I'm talking about police work and I see there's value that people out there listening and interacting with with the podcast and or the different Facebook and social media posts. I really do appreciate it. So I keep saying it. It's never going to get old for me. Thanks. Thanks so much for hanging in there with me. And I'm hope I'm getting better. I feel it. You know, I feel like I was a young rookie almost a year ago and give me a couple more uh, seasons, a couple more books. And I think I'm really going to, I hit my stride with this whole podcast thing for. So, but thank you so much. And Continue to support us through Apple, Google, Spotify. And don't forget when you get there, rate us five stars or better. Also, I keep saying it. Comments, comments, comments. Good and or bad. Doesn't make any difference. I appreciate you guys taking the time to give any comments because everyone's busy. And if you take the time out of your busy day to give me a thumbs up or a comment, good or bad, I really appreciate that. Also, and it's no small measure. Continue to share this podcast with your friends and family because we are growing. I'm telling you, the numbers look great. You know, I have some analytics because I'm a geek and I can see the numbers are growing. And I know it's not because of me, it's because of you. So if you could continue to support us by telling your friends and family, that is so appreciated. Also, don't forget to join us at www.thethinblueonepod.com. For more investigative content, I've tried to tweak the website and I keep try to keep it fresh and you will find a more immersed experience concerning Michael Connolly and Harry Bosch. So next time on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we will continue our deep dive into The Last Coyote, chapters 25 through chapter 29. I'm Philip Parker and I'm 107 for the remainder. Bye.